You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Thank you for that song. I appreciate that. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's open them up, and we're going to uh, turn to 2 Kings chapter number 4. 2 Kings chapter number 4. And uh, your pastor was talking about the, uh, the first time I was here. I don't remember that very much, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> I think uh, your pastor was, um, was uh, showing me some pity by letting me preach because me and uh, Melanie, my wife, were passing through, and uh, she was expecting our second at the time, and we didn't know that there was a cutoff point where you can't get on a cruise ship, you know, when you're expecting at a certain point. And so, uh, so they, they turned us away, and we couldn't get on our cruise ship, and so we had to come here anyways <laughs> for the night service. And uh, I had said some choice words to the people that, you know, turned us away, and I was really, really angry. And um, Eli's like, hey, do you want to preach tonight? And I look in my Bible, and the one sermon I have is on patience. <laughs> you know, so I was preaching to myself. But here, get this. Um, a couple days before, uh, I had gone in to uh, do this dental cleaning thing, this regular thing. And they said, all right, you're getting your cleaning done, and we're, we're uh, removing your wisdom teeth too, right? I said, no, I don't think so. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's what we have scheduled down here. So there's like no prep time for this. I said, no, I don't want my wisdom teeth pulled. And they're like, well, I mean, you need them pulled. And I said, I know that, but I don't want you to, like, you know, knock me out with the laughing gas, whatever you do. Like, this is a big deal. And they said, no. This lady was convincing me. She's like, no, it, that used to be a real big thing. Now, I mean, you're awake the whole time. We just numb you up. We pull, and that's it. I said, no way. And she, I mean, she really sold me on this idea. And so they're in the dentist, like, all right, well, just pull them out if, that, if it's that simple. Well, you know, that, that operation should never be done when you're awake. <laughs> so they, they numb me up, and I, I didn't feel anything, so that's good. And the first three came out pretty easy. Well, this one right in the back here, uh, they were having some issues with it. And so they, he had to you know, take his pliers or whatever it was and go digging in, and he said, we're having some serious problems after like 20 minutes of going back and forth. He's like, There's this, it's the only way I can do this, okay? He said, I, I need to hold you real tight. You're going to feel a lot of pressure, okay? Uh, and, you'll, and you'll hear some cracking. I'm like, are you kidding me? And so the, uh, the, my dentist is a, uh, you know, he's a real big burly guy. He gets me in this headlock. And he puts the, I'm not kidding, and he puts the pliers in my mouth, and sh- pop! And then, and he didn't stop. It was crack, crack, crack. I thought, I thought maybe my jaw was broken. I get hurt so bad uh, afterwards. I mean, it was, it was in serious pain. He got the tooth out, but this is just a couple days before coming here, and it hadn't stopped hurting, and that's not good. Right? It stopped bleeding, hadn't stopped hurting. So I called him, he said, well, it's infected. Great. Uh, And he said, okay, I'm going to give you antibiotics and Norco. And so when when I came here, I mean, I was hopped up on Norco, (laughs) preaching this sermon. Who knows what I said? (laughs) 
I do not want to go back and, and hear that. It was a, probably a bunch of heresies, so hopefully tonight uh, will be better, and, and I've actually had some time to prepare and pray, you know, uh, so that's good. But we're here in Second uh, Kings chapter number 4, and uh, let's just jump right in, shall we? So thank you for coming on a Thursday night. Um, I know it encourages your pastor, though I don't know most of you. I, I see your faces. He does and it, it encourages him, you being here. But not only that, I, I look at you after this COVID time. This tells me that you have survived COVID, not just physically. A lot of churches did not survive COVID. You understand? And a lot of pastors were very nervous when all of that happened and the meeting in the parking lot and the tent and the live stream and not knowing who was actually... Um, in this and rooted in Christ and, and who might, might be fallen by the wayside and have to um, go and, and round everyone up. You, you understand what I'm talking about. And it does his heart a lot of good, I'm sure, to, to see you. And you came on a special night. I, I really pray that Lord has something special for us here. It's also see, uh, good to see some of my fellow college students. Um, I think uh, Josh and Alyssa and Stephanie and then uh, Jesse down here from, uh, from our church. Uh, thank you for being faithful there. Second Kings chapter number 4, and this is the story of Elisha, where the woman um, that couldn't have a child, he promised her a child, she had a child, and then the child dies. You remember the story, okay? So this is where we're at. We're going to jump down in 4.18, and I'll begin reading. And when the child was grown, and please picture this in your mind as I read. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out uh, to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to the lad, uh, he said to a lad, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, then died. Skip down into verse 29. Then he, that's Elisha, said to Gehazi, and that's his servant, his, his um, uh, you know, guy he was training. He said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awaked. And uh, let's, uh, let's just uh, jump right in here, okay? This was over five years ago that I, I preached this sermon to our church. And right before then, I had... I had read an, an internet blog article that really troubled me. It disturbed me. Uh, the, this man was recounting his story. Uh, this Christian uh, had recounted his story about how he became an atheist. And he was, uh, he was telling his story that you know, he was raised up in a, uh, a Christian home. He went to a Bible-believing college, not exactly like ours, but pretty close. He started starting churches, starting these house churches. He was very involved. And he said, it's not what you might think. It's not like 
there was some traumatic event that happened to me. It's not like some person that I highly respected, you know, really disappointed me. It's not any of those big reasons that kind of happened. He said it just gradually happened. And he said one of the big things that convinced him to abandon all of it, he said that looking back, I can't think of a single prayer that I prayed where I absolutely knew it was answered by God, that I couldn't just explain away by coincidence or something. He said, looking back, I, I don't think that I ever experienced something bigger, something I, I can't explain, something actually miraculous in my life. And he said he wasn't angry or bitter toward Christianity. He was just done. He reflected on all these things he had done for the Lord and couldn't think of any time in which he unquestionably experienced the power of God in his life. And he said, I really tried. I really tried, but it didn't work. You ever met someone like that? If I could sit that person down, okay, and just bear my heart with him for a second, I would take him to this passage. And in that passage, he would see himself in that person of Gehazi that we're going to explain in a second. And if we were to look closer, we would look at the thing in Gehazi's hand, and that was a stick or a staff. And that little piece, that little uh, part in the story explains a lot. And I want to explain this to you today, okay? The whole message tonight is simply the stick. The stick. And I hope, I hope that uh, message title sticks. All right? That's my one joke for the evening. There you go. All right? So here's the story in a nutshell. You ready? We've got to refresh our memories a little bit. And uh, let's go to Lord in prayer first. Father, I pray that you would help me now. Uh, we're all here. We've gathered. You know all the needs represented in this room, and I pray that you would help me. Hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the story in a nutshell, okay? Uh, this was a special time in history when God was using a group of people known as prophets. Elijah was one of the most famous prophets. His, uh, his Padawan learner, if you will, okay, his apprentice, his name was Elisha. Elisha also, when Elijah died, Elisha had an apprentice. His name was Gehazi. That's how this kind of worked. These prophets did not go door-to-door uh, -to -door soul winning, right, uh, to get people's attention. Here's how they got people's attention. They called down fire from heaven. <laughs> you know, they raised people from the dead. They, they did some miraculous things, and that got people's attention. Okay, that was kind of the, uh, the soul-winning thing of the Old Testament. The purpose was to point people to the one true God of Israel, the Lord, the only one capable of doing such power, right? He, he proved that the other gods, the other fake gods, were just that. They were dead. They, they weren't real. They didn't do anything. One of those prophets is Elisha in 2 Kings 4, okay? So in a, uh, Elisha and Gehazi in this story, just to recap this a bit, they frequently go through this town called Shunem, okay? So their base was on uh, Mount Carmel, and they would pass by the city of Shunem uh, frequently. And this well-to-do lady there in Shunem, 
she noticed this happening, and she told her husband, hey, look, uh, these, these guys keep going uh, back and forth over here. How about let's build them a little prophet's chamber? Let's build them a little chamber, and whenever they want to pass through, they can, uh, they can crash there for the night. That was the, that was the first Airbnb, right, of the, of the Old Testament. And so that's what they built there, um, and they accepted her offer, and then Elisha asked the Lord to give her a son because she doesn't have a son. Within a year, she has a son. It's almost like this Abraham and Sarah type story, okay, where they couldn't have a child and God miraculously provides one. Um, so year after year, Elisha and Gehazi keep going back and forth and using this uh, prophet's chamber. And then one day, uh, maybe the boy is seven or eight, I don't know, he was old enough to go uh, join his dad in the reaper's field, but he was young enough to be carried by another lad. So, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. He's a young boy. Uh, he's out in the field, and then he dies. Maybe it was heat stroke. He's, he complained about his head. I don't know. But, but that's what we do know. He died. And there is uh, Elisha and Gehazi. They're on Mount Carmel. That's 20 to 25 miles away. Okay, that's like from here to Anaheim. All right? Uh, the woman uh, immediately goes and requests that Elijah do something about this. Eli uh, then Elisha sends Gehazi ahead. He says, all right, uh, me and the lady here, we're going to take the donkey, but you, Gehazi, you take my stick, my staff, and you go back, and then what I want you to do is lay the staff on this kid's face, and then we'll be right behind you. That's weird, right? Uh, it's not just me. That, that, that piece of the story is kind of strange. What's the deal with the stick? Why did he give it to him? Did Elisha expect something to happen? Or did he know it was not going to do anything? Did he just like not explain this to Gehazi? We're going to explore this, and it really does matter. It doesn't just matter back then, okay? It matters to us right now. It's very, very applicable to, to you and I, and I, I hope you just hang with me, okay? So that's the story in a nutshell. But there's lots of little bits in the middle of this story that we need to kind of zero in on, all right? And so uh, I, I have one of these uh, walking sticks here as, a, as my illustration, okay? So you can imagine, here's Gehazi. He has this uh, staff in his hand, and uh, Elisha says, I want you to take this, I want you to run. Don't even talk to anybody on the way. I mean, you're straight there, uh, and then lay the stick on his face. This is 20, 25 miles. I don't think I could have run 20, 25 miles. It's a marathon, okay? Uh, the kid is tired when he gets there, and what he does, he goes up into the room, and then here's the boy. Uh, sure enough, he's dead, and Gehazi lays his staff on him. I want you to imagine, like, what's going through his mind. He lays the staff on him, and nothing happens. It says, neither voice nor hearing. You know, so Gehazi's maybe thinking, maybe it's a delayed effect thing. <laughs> you have to, you know, keep it on him a while. So he pulls out his iPhone, he starts playing, you know, Angry Birds. And uh, I'm guessing it's not just that he laid it down and, oh, that didn't work, let me... He probably stayed there a while, and he switches over, he starts playing Pokemon Go or something. <laughs> I mean, what, what is going on in his mind? What's happening in that little room? Maybe it was like, maybe, I mean, should I say some magic words? 
Is there, is there an on and off button to the stick? <laughs> Does it come with batteries? You see what I mean? Here's the point. Here's the big point. Gehazi literally thought that the resurrection power of God was in the stick. You see, you see what I'm talking about? Gehazi didn't get it, okay? This, there, let me ask you a question, church. Was there any real power in the stick? No, not at all. And Gehazi there has tired himself out. He's, you know, red-faced and sweaty, and he has tried, okay? But get this, it didn't work, right? The method that he used, he thought that if I do a certain thing in a certain way, in a certain order, then boom, I get to experience the power of God. And did that happen? No, not at all. So, so what is the deal then with this stick? And I'll, I'll uh, lay this down here. Why exactly did Elisha give it to him in the first place? All right? So what, what is this stick? It was a symbol. So to a prophet, uh, it was more than a, a walking stick. All right? Let me prove that just real quick. Uh, so with Moses, he, Moses is actually the first prophet. In Hosea 12, 13, it describes Moses as the man of God. And the, the term man of God and prophet were used interchangeably in the Bible. And then sure enough, when God calls Moses to be his man, to lead his people, what does he give him? His stick. Okay? And he says, look, hey Moses, when, uh, when people ask, you know, um, when people want to know if you represent me or, or whatever, I want you to use this rod. Okay, and sure enough, Moses, he has it in his hand, and uh, he uses it almost like his credentials. Uh, if there's any uh, policeman in the room, your badge is your credentials, right? It, it says that you represent the law. And to Moses, his, his staff was his credentials. He represented God. And so when he, uh, when, when he goes up to Pharaoh and he has his showdown, you know the story, right? He holds his rod over the Nile River. It turns to blood. You know, he throws it on the ground. It becomes a snake. And then he holds it up over the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts. He goes and crosses it. He holds it over the Red Sea again, and it crashes on Pharaoh's army. Now, to an outsider who didn't really know what was going on, like, you and me, if we didn't really know the Bible and we saw that, would have been, maybe some of us would have been like, wow, where can I get me one of those sticks? Right? But there was no power at all in his rod, in his stick. I, I am going somewhere with this. I need, to, I need you to uh, kind of hang on here, okay? The difference is between a symbol and an object, all right? So let's say like a scepter of a king. A king has a scepter, okay? Kings have scepters. But just because you and I might have a scepter doesn't make us a king, right? Uh, let's, say, let's say you're at a grocery store and, you know, you're, you're an old-fashioned person. You're writing a check to pay for your groceries, okay? Just because you write a million dollars on your check does not mean that you have it in the bank, right? 
It's supposed to be a symbol of what you do have. If you're wearing a wedding ring in, uh, in the room, right, it's probably because you are married. But if you're single in the room and you go out to a, a jewelry store and you buy a wedding ring and you put it on your finger, does it make you married? No, right? It is a symbol that you are married. The symbol doesn't have any power in and of itself. Are you following me so far? So if, uh, if someone has a smile on their face, but like inside they're grimacing in pain, does a smile on someone's face make them happy? No, right? Uh, it's just a symbol of what should be on the inside, right? Uh, for some of you, uh, maybe geeky people in the room, if you, if you look at a uh, computer and you see a bunch of icons on the computer, that icon is not the actual application. It is the symbol of the application. It points to the application itself, all right? Uh, just like a badge on a policeman, okay? If someone went out and bought a, a badge, that doesn't make you a policeman. Are you, are you following what I'm saying so far, okay? There's this difference between a symbol and then what the symbol represents. Here's the, here's the deal. We, as humankind, has a bad tendency to take a symbol and we worship it. That's what happens a lot. That's what had, happened in the Garden of Eden. Here's uh, Adam and Eve, they're created to be in the image of God, and they want to be God himself. They want to be like God. Uh, Israel, when, when uh, Moses was told to get the brazen serpent and hold it up, right? You remember when everyone's being bitten by snakes and all this stuff. Later on, you read in the prophets that they took that uh, brazen serpent and they made a little god out of it. They started worshiping the thing. There was no power in that, in that symbol, okay? The Pharisees, you get to the New Testament, and the Pharisees are focusing on the law of Moses, the eating healthy, washing their hands, sacrificing lambs, taking a day of rest, all these things that were symbols pointing to Jesus Christ. And here was Jesus Christ standing in front of them. They rejected him, but basically worshiped the symbols. And even today, you have, uh, you have symbols of baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? Uh, baptism is a symbol that we have been saved. The Lord's Supper is a symbol of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, right? I mean, the, 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 shed, um, uh, the shed blood and the broken body. But you and I know that there are denominations out there that have taken those symbols and made them something in and of themselves that gives salvation, and it reverses the whole thing, okay? So sticks, these, these sticks in our lives, what they are, what I'm trying to say is that they're salvation substitutes. And we have a bad tendency, instead of uh, relying on the power of God upon his Holy Spirit, to rely on a certain method, a certain way, a certain thing that we do in order to experience God. So why, why did Elisha give it to Gehazi in the first place? Uh, the text doesn't say. So this is my best guess, okay? This is me. You can take this or leave this, all right? Uh, so Elisha gives it to Gehazi. I think maybe that Elisha was in a hurry. This, uh, this lady comes to him, falls at his feet, and grabs his feet and starts crying, starts accusing him of, hey, you know, you promised me a son and this and that, and, and maybe... 
Elisha gave, gave, this, uh, gave his credentials to his, uh, his young apprentice almost like maybe a policeman would give a badge to one of his kids and he says, okay, go arrest that guy. <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't have the power to do that, okay? Uh, and, and maybe it was that Elisha wasn't very good at explaining things. I don't know. It doesn't say that Elisha told him and gave him the spiel that like, hey, Gehazi, you actually need to pray <laughs> when you get in the room and you actually need to like depend on God when you get in there. Uh, that's all he said. And Gehazi got the impression that the power was in the stick itself. The point is that you can't delegate the power of God. You can't inherit it from someone else. You get to meet God yourself in the little prophet's chamber, in your quiet time, in your prayer time and Bible time. No one can do that for you. No one can transfer that, that power to you. You, can't go to a, you can go to a second-hand store and buy second-hand clothes, but you can't go to like the power of God store and buy the second-hand power of God. You and I, each and every one of us, have to get that on our own. And God doesn't love Elijah or Elisha more than he loves you and I. In fact, when we receive the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, we get, a, we get to come into the presence of God like even they never got to in an incredible way. So Elisha, uh, for whatever reason, Gehazi didn't get it. That's the point. Okay? Uh, se several years ago, we got a, a treadmill, and I was never really into this marathon running type of thing. Um, but I... Uh, I like the treadmill because I kind of game the system, okay? So if you're on a treadmill, you can put like your laptop or a TV in front of you and you kind of forget that you were running a whole lot. And so that's, uh, that's kind of what I did when, when the new DuckTales uh, cartoon came out. So that was, my, that was my treadmill. I'm not studying the Bible or anything, you know, uh, <laughs> anything very helpful. Uh, but what's, what's really, really bad if you don't have something distracting you, okay, is you see this little red dot going very, very slowly around the track. And you wish that thing would speed up. You know what I mean? And uh, that, that's the treadmill type of thing. I think a lot of times we think that we're running, okay? But we are on a treadmill, tiring ourselves out. I mean, getting really sweaty, really red-faced, and we're doing a lot of things for God in a certain way, in a certain method, right? But nothing's happening. We're not experiencing anything. And you know what happens? That gets old really quick when you feel like I am just absolutely beating myself to death in in ministry, and raising these kids, in this marriage, and doing all the Christian stuff, it gets very tiring, and soon, sooner or later, you're going to quit. You're going to get burned out. It's not fun doing something over and over and over again with no results. If you've ever worked a job, maybe, and you put a lot of time into some project, 
and then maybe some employee came behind you and accidentally messed up all your work, and now you have to start all over again. Or maybe you've, you've worked on a computer and you've you know, uh, uh, done a whole lot of work on some file or you've uh, written a whole bunch of stuff, and then somehow your computer erases all of it and you have to start all over again. That's very, very aggravating, okay? That's what happens when we are on the treadmill Christianity thing. When we think we're running, but we haven't moved more than three feet. Because we are trying to do things in our own power. And absent the Holy Spirit of God. When you work hard and tire yourself out, but never see results, pretty soon you stop trying altogether. It's not fun anymore. Remember the message, Eli, you preached about when the newness wears off. That happens very quickly. When, when we don't get it, when we don't understand that it is not this checklist of things that if I do these particular things in this order, then I'm going to get the joy that I see in other Christians. I mean, these people really actually look like they, they, they're enjoying life and they experience God and God answers their prayers and God does things for them and I am running on a treadmill and I'm not getting anywhere. You're, you feel like you're in a little room with a dead corpse, and it is not moving, and it is not fun to be in the room with the dead corpse. That is why people leave Christianity, and they, they, they tell me, right? And they say, look, I gave it a shot. It didn't work, and I got tired of the rules. And what they are talking about is they were given a list, or maybe they just didn't get it, right? And what they observed was people are doing this and this and this in the church. That, that must be what I need to be doing in order to be a good Christian, in order to experience this peace that passes all understanding. So they do those things, and they still feel very empty inside, and they're wore out, and, and they quit. So what's the answer then? It is to put down the stick. And you and I can see real resurrection power from God if we do exactly what, what happens in this story. Elisha was not a special person. Even James says, I, I listened to it this morning, uh, talks about Elijah. He says he, he was a man with like passions like we but he earnestly prayed that it might not rain, and God did that for him. What it's saying is, look, Elijah's just like you. We have the same access to God that he did. We don't have to be a prophet in the Old Testament. We don't have to have a literal walking stick that God kind of designates as our, as our badge. We can anytime, anywhere, go into the presence of God and and we can experience that, that type of miracle, that type of knowing that God showed up in the little upper chamber, in the little prophet's chamber, and maybe no one else in the world knows but you. And when you get up, up off your knees, and when you get done reading your Bible, you know that God spoke to me just now. Something happened in this little room. It might have been just seven sneezes, right? That's what happens when the boy raises up. 
That's not a whole lot. That's not like dramatic. But seven sneezes for a dead person is very dramatic. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen usually, right? It's no coincidence, get this, in the very next chapter of the Bible, 2 Kings 4, Gehazi disqualifies himself from ministry altogether. Okay? Here's Naaman. Naaman wants to get healed. You know the story. Elisha says, well, you need to dip seven times. And anyways, he gets healed. He comes back. And uh, after refusing the, the payment from Nathan, like they're not mercenaries. They, they're not work for higher people. Um, Elisha says, no, we're not taking your money. Gehazi goes back and says, well, you know, you know I, I did work pretty hard, you know, and he's justifying himself in his mind. You know, I kind of do deserve this and all that type of thing. And he accepts the money, and then the leprosy that Naaman had is now transferred to Gehazi. Is that altogether shocking from a person who is wearing himself out but seeing no results? It's basically like, well, I might as well get a little bit of something for me. You know, I'm not experiencing any other joy in this life. That's what happens. Uh, when, when people feel like maybe God is showing favoritism to someone else, or maybe I don't even know if, uh, if, we, you know, if, if, if God exists or he cares about people. I don't know if anything uh, is real at all. It should be no surprise that uh, people do a lot of crazy things. They, they, they leave, they uh, make bad decisions, and we don't, we don't see them again. And almost always, it's no coming back from that, you know, once you take off. I want in this sermon so badly for you to understand that you can spare yourself that. And I want the Holy Spirit to convict you and really convince you that you individually can really experience God's power privately and as a church. It's not just them back then in the Old Testament. So how do, how do you get it then? Um, there, there's three things we need. First is faith in God. That's what happens with, uh, with the, the woman and with Elisha. The woman very quickly when, when she hears that her son has died, she goes and she saddles up a donkey and leaves. And um, the husband says, hey, what's going on? Is it, you know, why are, why are you going to see the man of God? You know, it's not a Sabbath or a new moon or what's going on? Like the, the man is kind of oblivious. Okay? He just saw his son, you know, go with, maybe he didn't know he died. Uh, but she, all she says is, uh, it shall be well. And that's that Hebrew word shalom. Uh, and it can mean it shall be well or it is well. It can, it's, can be just a greeting, like hello almost. And so she doesn't go into detail with him. Hey, did you know our son just died and he's in this upper room and I'm going to go? She doesn't even share it with him because he can't fix the problem. Right? Gehazi comes and he, and he tries to stop her from coming. Whoa. Uh, Gehazi comes and he tries to stop the lady from coming and she runs right past him and she says uh, it, uh, it is well like hey, leave me alone why doesn't she explain all her problems to everyone she's seeing because they can't do anything about it 
She goes to the man of God, God's representative, that would be for us going to God himself, the only one who can fix the issue that we have. So, the situation, it's not like the situation didn't bother her, right? It bothered her a lot. But she didn't bother other people with things that they could not solve. She went directly to you know, the solution solver, and that was Elisha. In 2 Kings 4.27, it says that she caught him by the feet, and, she said, and it says that her soul was vexed within her. And she's not going to let the man of God go until he fixes the situation. So faith is not just simply believing that God can do something. It's believing that God will do something. I was reading Charles Finney. He said this. And I, I'm going to read this whole thing here. He says that when God has promised something like uh, in Luke 11:13, where God promises to give the Holy Spirit, he says, here we are bound to believe that we shall receive it when we pray for it. You have no right to add an if and say, Lord, if it be your will, give us your Holy Spirit. This is to insult God. To add an if to God's promise where God has put none is tantamount to charging God with being insincere. What is he saying? He's saying that if you know God already wants this, this is the will of God, then you don't need to and you shouldn't in your prayer saying, now, God, if it's your will, I would, I would like you to bring revival in my heart. Lord, if it's your will, I would like you to see, let me see someone saved. Lord, if it's your will, I would like you to see so-and-so who's a prodigal come back to church. It is his will. We know it's his will. And when we pray in faith, in faith, the Bible promises that we will receive it. That's what the woman did. It, it required faith that not only God can do this theoretically, maybe, but that God will if I ask in faith. Also, Elisha shows faith. Um, he... When, when, and I'll probably uh, not be able to, to finish this whole thing. I want to center on this one, though, okay? When Elisha goes and talks to this lady, okay, uh, and, and meets the boy, I mean, it takes place in two stages. I don't know if you caught this. When Elisha goes up into that upper room, he comes in, and look, he doesn't use the stick at all. He doesn't even mention it. Doesn't matter at all. What he does is he goes over there and lays on top of the boy, and then the body becomes warm. And then it says that Elisha gets back up, he goes downstairs, and he starts pacing the floor back and forth. And then he goes back up, and then he lays on the boy again, and then the boy sits up, he sneezes several times, and he comes down alive. What is this whole two step thing? Okay, this is something I, I believe I found this week, and this was so helpful to me. Elisha, okay, knew it was God's will to resurrect this little boy. He knew it. And so he goes and he prays face down on the boy, and it doesn't work immediately. But again, he knows that it's God's will. He gets up and he starts pacing down the floor and that tells me that maybe he was distressed. 
okay? Um, worried, anxious. He goes back up, does the same thing, and the boy comes to life. The only other time that this word, uh, when it says he stretched himself, that's the same word. It only occurs one other time, and that's with the story of Elijah when uh, he's praying God to send the rain, okay? And it says that he cast himself down, same, same underlying word there, upon the earth. He put his face between his knees. And you remember the story? He says to his servant, hey, I need you to go and check if you see any storm clouds coming. And the servant comes back and says, no, no storm clouds, no rain. And he says, we'll go again. And he goes back seven times. And on the seventh time, the servant comes and he says, I see a little cloud like a man's hand. And Elijah knew just by that little sign, like the little sign like the seven sneezes, okay, God's sending the rain in buckets. And here's the point, okay, here's the point for you and me, I really believe, that sometimes God does not answer our prayers instantaneously right away the first time. He wants us, when we know that it's his will to do something, to keep laboring in prayer until you see the sign that this prayer is going to be answered. Why is that? That grows our faith big time. Elijah sees this little cloud coming up, and in his mind, he's like, yep, God's going to rain buckets. It's going to flood. How'd you get that from the little, from the little uh, cloud? He knew. And when we labor in prayer and see that in our time with God, our faith grows huge. You, you have a vision that you never had before. Same happened with Jesus, right? The, his disciples go ahead of him, unable to cast out a demon. And Jesus says, this one comes by faith, belief, prayer, fasting, and here's the good news. Maybe, maybe you're listening to all this stuff and you're like, okay, that's great, but I don't have that faith. I, list, I, I hear about these prophets and these guys and I don't have that kind of faith. There in Mark 4 in that story, the man says, I, I believe, help thou my unbelief. God is not only willing to give you a, a powerful presence in, in your life, but he's willing to provide you the faith needed to get there, if we would claim that. Um, I, I, I got to end on this here, okay? In, in the story of Jesus himself, okay? Just like Elisha, Elisha laid himself on the lad, not the stick. Here's the point. In our ministries, in our helping other people, it is not enough to lay a Sunday school lesson on your class 52 weeks out of the year. The class does not need your Sunday school lesson. They need you. When we are willing to lay flat on our face, I mean, be, be absolutely identified and give ourselves for the people that we are helping, that's when miracles happen. That's what Jesus did. He didn't lay down his scepter on humankind, he laid himself down for us. And from, if you were looking from the heavens and you were to see Elisha on that boy, you wouldn't be able to see the boy. He was entirely covered up 
by Elisha, and that's the way God looks at us when we are saved. When God the Father looks down at us, those of us who are completely covered by the outstretched hands of Jesus, he doesn't see the death and the rottenness of sin. He sees Jesus, the resurrection and the life, so that we might live. God's hand is not short. In, in my life, in your life, and even though I, I didn't get to, get to much of it tonight, I, I want the big takeaway here that maybe, maybe it's something that you have been praying for and you stopped because God didn't send it. You didn't get an immediate answer to prayer. He is wanting you to labor in it if you know it's his will. God can send you and me revival, and he likes doing that. He likes doing it in the upper room, uh, in that little chamber, maybe no one knows but you. That's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. It'll change your life. I hope you take that with you today. Maybe, maybe read over that, uh, that passage again. God wants to give us resurrection life, and it's ours for the claiming. He died for it so that we might live in him. Let's pray. And Brother Eli, I'm going to ask you to give the invitation here. And it could be that you're in the room tonight. Let's all stand together, please. It could be in, you're in the room tonight, and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've been depending on everything else but that, and it requires faith. It requires humility in God, dependence on God. And maybe tonight's your